that you're with us today. Today we will be in 2 Samuel chapter 2, if you want to turn there to your Bibles. Last week we were in 2 Samuel chapter 1, we were in the second half of the chapter, and we talked about how the mighty can fall. And if the mighty can fall, so can we. And so we, we tried to learn some things from that, and one of the things we learned is that we want to speak life instead of death, and it's important to do that. So here in chapter 2, where we'll be is, is in a different spot. With, we're talking about where David has moved from mourning to a place of he, he needs to move on. And before, before I continue the rest of the service, I meant to tell you a story first, and just so that everyone could get to know me a little bit better in my family. So Josie is really the heartbeat of our home, really important, my wife, because we have the seven kids. Well, when we had five kids, I made a mistake when we were at Pee Wee Soccer because I, I ended up as the only parent at that soccer field that we were at, at Grayson Cleats here in Fishers. And I knew several of the families were there passing around the handout to sign up for snacks. And I feel the pressure. I don't want to sign up for snacks. But I, got, I have to. Now I have to sign up because this person signed up. So I, I go ahead and sign up for snacks. Well, the mistake I made was it was on a day when Josie was at work as a nurse. So Josie got the snacks. She said, here's the cooler. Here's the chips. You know, you're good to go. Well, we had the five kids. Our youngest was, wasn't even one yet. So I'm like, okay, it's going to be okay. It's going to be good. It's going to be a good day. It was a lie. It was not a good day. It was terrible. And what happened was, we're going to get the kids ready, got to get their shin guards. I can't find the socks for the shin guards. So that's an issue. And then I have, the one-year-old keeps blowing his diaper out, <laughs> like three times in a row. So I have to clean him up every time. And then on top of that, I have a kid, our second youngest is hiding, but, but or she's not, she's naked. So she just takes her clothes off. <laughs> just every time I put her clothes on, She'll run away and, and then scream and giggle. And then our third, our third youngest and then is hiding from me and thinks I'm playing a game with her. I was not playing a game. I'm trying to get everybody on the same page. Another kid's crying because their cleats hurt their feet. I mean, it was, and our oldest is just watching it all go down. And she's saying things. And I don't think she meant to, but she was just saying, like, mom's better at this, dad. <laughs> like, yes, of course. And I would have just tapped out and not went to soccer that day, except for I had these stupid snacks that I had to take. <laughs> and I didn't want to be the one who dropped the ball. So we show up late with the wagon and all the kids. And my, my parents and in-laws are there. And they're like, where have you been? And I'm like, you have no idea. Don't even ask. I don't even want to talk to you. Just take these children. I'm going to go in the van and try to relax. But really, like, I'm stressed now. But really... Josie's the heartbeat of our family, and, and I'm thankful for her and how much hard work, because usually she's in that spot that I was in that day, and, and that's a little bit about us. But, but here today, let's, let's pray before we jump into the scripture. Let's do that. <laughs> Father God, we're so thankful for you, Lord. We're thankful that your word is alive. Lord, we pray that your word would do what it said it would do, that it would penetrate, dividing between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, that it would expose areas in our hearts. And Lord, use me as an instrument to bless you and bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so once again, we are in 2 Samuel chapter 2. And David, just he just got back from uh, defeating the Amalekites. And he, he has got this huge portion of treasure. He's actually sent it to several cities. 
And so now he receives the news that Saul's died, and then he mourns and he goes through the process, but now it's time to move on. And who knows that sometimes you go through mourning, but there's a time to move on. We can grieve well, and we can do it also by honoring people by how we live. Now it's time for, king to, for David to step into his kingship, to, to become king of Judah, and then eventually king of Israel. So, so he's stepping into the authority that God has given him, and he's went through a process. There's been a process to get here. And really, it seems like a no-brainer in my mind to David that he should go to another town, that he should go to Hebron, he should go to another place, because he's in Ziglag, remember, the city's burned to the ground. There's no hope, there's no future there, he's, and he's in a city that is the Philistines' territory. It's in their territory. So what David does is surprising. David, David he inquires of the Lord. But it seems like a no-brainer to me. Why would you have to inquire? This, isn't, this place isn't going to work out. But David understands that he should seek the Lord. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then came time afterwards that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to one of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. So David said, Where shall I go up? And he said to Hebron. So David is always seeking God's heart. He wants to know what he should do, and it's a big deal because he's stepping into the, to be, become king, and he doesn't want to miss what God has for him. So he says, shall I go? Yes, you shall. Where shall I go? He says to Hebron. And Hebron is an important city, and it's actually one of the cities that David sent treasures to from the plunder of the Philistines. So he sends it to Hebron and, and 12 other cities, and even more than that, because it said also the other towns where they felt like they should, basically. So he sends Hebron a gift. So really, like David, even though he knew Hebron was an important city for him, he had 11 other cities that were, uh, that were on his map of, should I go here, should I go here, should I go here, should I go here? So he had a 1 in 12 chance to get the right city. And one of the reasons it was important to go to Hebron is Hebron is a place of heritage. It's the place where Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and one of each of their wives were buried. But also, this is the place of, it's a place of promise because Abraham actually went to this place after he was told by the Lord, look to the north, look to the east, look to the west, look to the south. Everywhere you look, I'm going to give you territory. He gave him, God gave Abraham that promise. So he ends up going to the next place he goes is to Hebron. So it's a place of promise. It's a place of prosperity because Joshua and Caleb, the spies that Moses sent out, they went to Hebron. They came back with one cluster of grapes and the, it was so big that they had a, a pole between two men to carry it. That was from Hebron. So it's this place, a lush place. It's a place of, of wealth. But then it's a place of inheritance because Caleb actually receives it as an inheritance for his faithfulness as a, as a spy and to be, uh, to be honorable unto the Lord. He receives Hebron as an inheritance. And, and even in my life, I see this place. I came here, what many of you don't know, is I used to attend here on Wednesday nights with my grandparents, a part of something called Royal Rangers, which is like boys, Christian Boy Scouts, spirit-filled Christian Boy Scouts. <laughs> And so even, in, it's, it's funny how God puts things in, in place, and I believe that's also God's humor, as he says, hey, remember that place that you never thought you'd beat your back at it, and this is where I'm calling you to be. 
And he does the same for David. He says, go back to this place. Go back to your roots because there's heritage in your roots. And the blessings that they received from those before you are going to be heaped onto you, David. And he does the same for us. He's a good God. Amen. So they end up, he ends up praying the prayer. He goes to Hebron, and Hebron is also a great place to go because it's the highest city in Judah. So it's actually higher in elevation than Jerusalem. It's a well-defended city as well. Just a side note. Verse 2, so David went up there with his two wives, Amenohim, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. So here's a scripture that, that I'd like to touch on for just a moment. And this isn't the main part of the message, but so David has two wives. Was that okay? Absolutely not. Who, who knows one wife's enough? One husband's enough? And even the Genesis says that, that man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, not wives, just one, because it's enough. And then, later on, God tells the nation of Israel, hey, when you have a king, they're not to multiply wives unto themselves. And, and we see, because it, it will pull them from the heart of God. And we see in David's life later on that all these wives, it causes jealousy and dissension, murder, even rape in his own family because of his, the half-brothers and sisters that are vying for the kingdom. And that was never God's heart or intention. And not everything David does is right, which is important to note because sometimes we put David on this pedestal, a man after God's own heart. He missed it here. He has two, he's going to have eight wives. He was off. And then his, his son goes to the next level and has 700 wives and 300 concubines. And this is one area of his life. Relationships is always something that David is lacking in. Now, this scripture saying he had two wives and even though he had eight wives leading up is not saying that God was okay with it or, or some would say, why is that even in the Bible? Well, there's, there's difference in narrative and instruction in the Bible. So there would be like epistolatory scripture, which is like, you know, Jesus saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart or Colossians, Galatians, where there's all these instructions. Well, this is narrative. It's just talking about what happened. Just letting the reader know, and there are things we can learn from it. Amen, everybody? So then, verse 3, And David brought up with him the men who were with him, each with his own household, and they lived in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came and anointed David king over their house of Judah. So they leave Ziglag, which is the Philistine city, and everybody goes with David to the, to the Judah, Judahite city, and it's, it's an important marker because it's saying we're cutting ties with the Philistines. We're, we're not going to be a part of what they're doing anymore. It's basically burning bridges. And then David's anointed. And this is his first public anointing. It's his second anointing, but it's the first public one. So to us, it would be like when we vote someone into office, then it, it's like God said it. God anointed David. But when they actually take office is the second anointing the public display of that. So then David, David goes to there. Uh, he's anointed king, uh, and God sealed it with that, that first anointing. 
The second half of verse 4 says, And they told David, saying, It was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul. So what's important about Jabesh-Gilead is it is, uh, it's the place where uh, it's between them and the kingdom of Saul, or those in the north. So David's in the south of the country. In the north, David never really grasps a great hold on because even his, gr- his grandson has the north taken from him, and then he's the king of Judah. But David is, is told about these men of Jabesh-Gilead, and what happened was when Saul was first made king, there was an attack on the Jabesh-Gileads. They were told or they were, that, hey, either you pluck out our, your right eye and be our slaves, and, and, and it'll be a deal. The covenant that you make with us, we get your eye, like, you know, that's a weird thing to do, but, or we'll just kill you. So then Saul hears of it, and he comes and rescues him. Well, the men of Jabesh-Gilead remember that, that right out of the gate that Saul, Saul came and rescued them, so they want to repay that, so they sneak during the night, and they take Saul's body off of a wall, and they bury him, and David hears of it, and he ends up telling them that he, he will bless them in return. So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to him, said to them, may you be blessed of the Lord because you have shown this kindness to Saul your Lord and have buried him. So what you're seeing here in this verse is really David being a political genius. So here he is, he's displaying the gratitude. He's saying, you be blessed. I'm so thankful for what you did. And this is a, this is a political move, but also an act of faith. Because David really does believe the kingdom will be his. And then uh, verse 6 is the proposal. The proposal is, and now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you, and also will show good. Also, I will show goodness to you because you have done this thing. So he's saying, Saul was the guy who could bless you. I'm going to be. And then verse seven is the invitation to be a part of the kingdom of Judah. He says, Now therefore, let your hands be strong and valiant. For Saul, your Lord, is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So he's saying to them, hey, this is the opportunity, and he's saying it because they're in the north. David doesn't have a foothold there. He's saying, be strong, because they're, they're going to be the first ones to commit and say, yes, we're in. We're going to be a part of God's kingdom. And so, but they're in between this place of Mehenoim, which is where the the nation of Israel's kingdom is, and where, uh, where Hebron is. So they're in this place, I believe, represents in a way how we can be on the fence. We can either be with the world or we can be with the Lord. We can be with the kingdom of God or we can be with man's kingdom and man's ways. And really, he's saying that, you know, like in the Christian journey for us, it's Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And sometimes it's hard because we're going to have to step out. Maybe, maybe we've, some of us have had to step out in faith to be the first Christians in our family. Maybe some of us, it's, we'll lose all of our friends. Maybe for some of us, we've, we've already made that decision. But also we have to remember the scripture that says that those who are friends of the world are at enmity with God. And we don't want to be at enmity with the Most High. We want to be friends with Him. We want His will and His way. Continuing the Bible in verse 8, it says, But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, 
the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanoim. He made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, even over all of Israel. Worship team, you can go ahead and come forward. So he, he makes Ishbosheth king. Abner does, the commander of Saul's army. And I have some issues with Abner. The first issue I have with Abner, remember Abner is the commander of his army, but he was also the bodyguard to King Saul. He didn't die. He wasn't even with Saul when Saul died. Somebody slipped out. Somebody ran away. And then Ishbosheth, he wasn't even there in the battle at all. His three brothers died, and he was nowhere to be found. And Ishbosheth means man of shame. But Abner goes with his own will, and he even knows that David is supposed to be king because in chapter 3, he says this to Ishbosheth when he's had enough of Ishbosheth. He says, May God do so to Abner, and more also. If, as the Lord has sworn to David, I do not accomplish this, this for him to transfer the kingdom of the house of Saul and establish the throne of David over Israel and over Judah. So what's interesting, and I, I find it a little warped in Abner's perception, is he says, even the Lord said it would happen, but I'm going to carry it out. Abner's all about himself. He wants his way. And if it's easy for Abner, he's for it. And what's interesting is there's a five and a half year gap between King David as king over Judah and when Ishbosheth is made king, and Ishbosheth's only king for two years. So he steps in and and vies for the king. David can never gain traction. And sometimes we feel like we're making headway. We, you may feel like today that maybe you're like David where you seek a promotion. You know there's more. You're saying, God, there's more. You have more in store for me. But think about all that David learned in those seven years as king over, over, over a smaller area before he became king over a larger area. An example in my life is I had to go through ministry for 10 years to be able to be at this spot. I couldn't be campus pastor and walk in the anointing and calling that God have for me if I hadn't gone through some things and seen some things and made mistakes and learned and, and be at a place where I could grow. And God does the same for us, for all of us. He, there may be some things that he's trying to pinpoint and even some pressure points he's trying to push. Maybe we don't like, but it helps us grow. And that's what he does in David. He's running from Saul for 10 years. And then he has the seven years where he's anointed king, but he's like, oh, I'm like, I'm there, but I'm not fully in the anointing and calling that he has for my life. And maybe you feel like that. But maybe you might feel like the men of Jabesh Gilead. Maybe you feel like that in, in, in their life with they're between a rock and a hard place, they're, they're between where they can either serve the kingdom of God, which is established by David, or they can establish man's kingdom, which is popular and seems like something that is easy because everyone's going with it. And that's really a picture of our nation is it's easier to go with the world than against it. You know, we're the rebels right now. Coming to church, we're rebels. 
not letting our kids be taught craziness. We're we're the ones looked at like we're bigots, and we're not. Sometimes you don't have the majority, and David doesn't have that, but he's going to see God move to where he does have the kingdom. So maybe you feel like with as the men of Jabesh Gilead, like you're, you, maybe you're serving two masters. And we don't know if Jabesh Gilead ended up saying yes to the agreement. It's not in scripture. But I think they're so close, it, it was probably difficult for them. But we're supposed to stand in our armor. Remember the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shoes of peace, shield of faith, sword of the spirit. It covers the front, doesn't cover the back at all. We can't turn on our Lord and retreat. We're supposed to stand even though there might be pain. That's why David says to them, be strong, have strong hands. Because it's for the kingdom. Even if we suffer pain, it's for his glory and honor. And you know, some of us, you know, we're standing on the backs of those who have had pain and had persecution. And even in the Christian journey, if you're, if you're a Christian and a believer and you're walking in God's calling, you will have an opposition from the devil. But it's all worth it because it's not our crown. The Bible says our crown is people. That we might inherit, uh, inher- our inheritance might be a crown of people. So even if we suffer, it's not only for us, but it's for the gain of the kingdom so that others can stand on our shoulders. So they can see us stand because we might have persecution come. It might happen. We have to stand strong and stand secure in our Savior. Amen. So he makes him king. Abner makes Ishbosheth king. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he became king over Israel. And then he was, and was king only for two years. The house of Judah, however, followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. You know, people are ever hardly eager to go with the kingdom of God. We have to be okay with that to a degree that we won't be popular, we won't be, we won't necessarily be loved by those we want to love the most. And I find it interesting that Ishbosheth's kingdom only lasts two years, but God's kingdom lasts forever. And ever and ever. Maybe you feel like, once again, maybe you feel like David where you're seeking promotion. But what's great is scripture says that promotion doesn't come from man. It comes from the Lord in Psalm 75. That he's the one who exalts. He's the one who lifts up. It's not our own will. It's not our own opinion. And maybe we're trying to make our own kingdom. Maybe we're torn between two kingdoms. But maybe I would ask, are you trying to make your own kingdom like Abner? Where you think that because it's more comfortable and because you don't lose position, it's better to keep going with something old instead of moving with something new. And I would say for our church, that's important because the next move of God may be different than what we've seen before. Because we're seeing it in Kentucky and he's moving and it's going gonna, it's gonna to spread here. It's going to happen. We have to be open to the things of God and to his kingdom and his way and seek his face. And when we're in trouble, we should pray like David. So I would challenge you, in every situation, go to him first, even though it seems like a no-brainer to leave Ziglag to get to a greater city. There may be something better. You may miss it and go to the wrong town, wrong city. Amen, everybody.